You are listening to the podcast Invisible Fintech, Open Banking and APIs hosted by Amit Goel and Sally Rabindran from Medici. Hello and welcome listeners. I'm your host Amit Goel and this is the place where fintech banking and technology folks learn about how financial firms old and new are leveraging the power of APIs. Fintech companies have looked at API first development for long but banks and FIs have the potential to unlock everything from individual digital services to a full API ecosystem of developers and partners. We cover many facets of the API revolution in this podcast such as open banking, open APIs, banking as a service, financial infrastructure APIs and fintech APIs. And how these open several new business opportunities for banks, fintechs, and tech fins around consent-based data sharing and open API-based integrations. The whole world is building on APIs. Don't be left behind. Learn, collaborate, and execute fintech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of uh, the podcast uh, called Invisible Fintech. Um, I have my co-host, Salil Ravindran, who has digital banking for Medici uh, globally. And we have a very interesting guest, um, Nikhil Kumar, who is the co-founder and chief evangelist at Setu. Um, before that, he has done a lot of uh, great uh, volunteering work at iSpirit, uh, helping build UPI. And before that, he has a very solid background in uh, companies like Exotel, YC, and Intuit. Um, I will let Salil start with his questions first. Thank you, Amit. Nikhil, welcome to Invisible Fintech. Thank you so much, Salil and Amit. So happy yeah. to be here. Thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. You have a very stellar background, especially more popularly known as the guy who actually developed and launched the BMAP. Um, and uh, just for the benefit of our uh, listeners, Setu, uh, especially for people who are outside of India, Setu literally means bridge. So that kind of gives you a fair idea of what um, Setu would be doing in the fintech world. It's obviously something that connects uh, different parts of the ecosystem, uh, making them come together. But uh, Nikhil, um, how did Setu really happen? What were the thoughts that went into uh, building it to begin with and uh, what is the role that Setu is actually playing within this ecosystem today? Awesome. Um, so I think a, a little bit of background will be very helpful for everybody to know. So for me, uh, the idea of, you know, building API as a business model uh, started back in 2014 uh, when I started my career at Intuit. In fact, actually a lot more before that at Tally because Tally, though, even though didn't have APIs, uh, just an interesting thing, there are 10,000 plus developers in India who actually use Tally's Tally development language and build customized tooling on top of Tally for small businesses. Uh, so the idea of using developers uh, to augment and extend your product uh, is not really new. Uh, the way we do it is actually new, which is, you know, we used to do this using ODBC. Uh, now we do, do it using APIs. Uh, so, uh, the idea of co-creation, uh, so that's how I learned how to do business. Uh, Tally was my first job and I was in alliances. Uh, so, uh, so for me, building new channels in this new software world meant that I have to build these product partnerships. Um, and APIs just seem to be, you know, 
the right way to do these product partnerships because it would give me right. scale uh, to partner with you know many different companies and so on. Uh, so <clears throat> that kind of got um, all of these basics kind of got clear very clear uh, at Intuit because Intuit was one of the first companies to you know kind of commit to open APIs. Um, in 2015, I remember, you know, there was all this super duper excitement about how Intuit's developer platform should be built, what kind of apps, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. Um, so in some sense, my uh, kind of initiation to the world of, you know, building new channels and, uh, and using APIs as the way to build or scale these channels happened uh, even before the payments journey. Uh, so when I volunteered at iSpirit, when I started volunteering, so when I first read the UPI API specs, uh, so the first thing that came to my mind was like, oh, wow, this is programmable money. Uh, if you could give <laughs> uh, programmable money as an API, uh, imagine all the magic that, that you know, developers could do. Uh, so by the time I had no convincing to do to myself that you know, developers are the ones who are gonna co-create and build solutions, uh, so, so I kind of came from that world and then applied this to UPI, uh, and uh, you know, and you know, the results are out to see. I think you know, I'm very proud that India is one of the most vibrant developer ecosystems for payments in India. We have an open interoperable platform mm -hmm. uh, that enables anybody to participate and build innovative solutions. Uh, so when this happened, uh, one very interesting thing occurred. Uh, I mean, I realized that you know, uh, while I came from the technology industry, uh, the work that I did in the last four or five years at iSpirit was mostly towards societal impact. Uh, to say, mm. can we use technology to create societal impact? Uh, so what I realized is if when you, when you mix the power of platforms, right? So thinking around APIs, and then if you decided to build APIs to do societal impact, and if you kind of brought these two objectives together, right? Uh, you see magic like UPI happen. Uh, so that was the, you know, kind of second big learning. So the first one was platforms are important for the reasons that I said. The second reason was, can you build platforms for societal impact? Uh, so when this happened, um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, for me, it was broadly a framework of building platforms in various different segments. Uh, so this happened in banking. Uh, actually, not many people know. I also happen to work on the GST APIs. Uh, so today, 80% yeah. yeah. uh, of tax filing in India happens on, you know, through the GST API. So uh, I volunteered to help build the first developer ecosystem for GST APIs. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that you could file your taxes from Tally and QuickBooks and so on. Uh, I similarly worked on another project with TRAI. Uh, this was a Wi-Fi project called Vani. Uh, we were trying to create an open interoperable Wi-Fi ecosystem. Uh, and the idea was, can public internet be interoperable? In India, we have 10,000 public Wi-Fi hotspots. The problem statement was, how do we scale it to a million hotspots in the next three years, right? So mm -hmm. all of these large problems by design needed the developer ecosystem to exist, right? So without which you're very clear that you can't solve hard problems all by yourself in a country like India. So I was mostly after my iSpirit volunteering kick, you know, after I got to work on, you know, on taxation, on payments and on telecom, uh, I was truly uh, looking at many, diff many different ideas. Um, um, and you'd be surprised. One of the uh, things that I wanted to do is I wanted to apply platform thinking to politics. Uh, and mm -hmm. I said, <laughs> interesting. What, what, you know, if, why can't we co-create a political party with people? 
uh, and you know can we use uh, some of these learning from technology you know building platforms uh, can we co-create micro communities and then you know uh, and then build a party so i had a acquisition plan and all of that kind of thought about uh, uh, wanting to be the ceo of bangalore fixing roads I'm, I'm from bangalore i grew up around bangalore uh, so i was like what if we thought bangalore as a platform and you know can we can we fix the city uh, so <laughs> i was on um, i was on this uh, kind of uh, pursuit of like where do i apply this thinking of co-creation platforms apis right and uh, and which which industry can we impact next right so um, interestingly at that time xstep was doing a lot of work at an education so i volunteered for a bit at xstep uh, then uh, you know and then i was kind of looking at you know various different industries where we could apply the platform thinking um, so while i was doing that i realized that you know that even within the financial services space, which we initially kind of set out to, you know, change, accelerate with India Stack, I realized that, you know, we had just, you know, there was just like one percent of the work that was done, uh, which is the public infrastructure was built, but you know, the innovation that that can come out from the ecosystem, which is not just in payments but across lending, savings, deposits, uh, still was not happening. Uh, so I kind of looked inward, um, you know, during the years 2016 and 2018, 19, when API banking was not even sexy, I used to go around, you know, chanting how open banks should build open APIs, banks should adopt API banking as a strategy and so on. Um, so all of these kind of insights and thinking kind of brought me to say, hey, can we build a company uh, that can enable or make APIs better generally? Um, so where did we want to start? Uh, it was pretty logical to start with financial services because, you know, that's kind of where the ecosystem is most mature. Uh, you know, you can't say the same about healthcare today or education, right? So uh, there's a long way to go, but yeah, so the ecosystem is there, the customers are there, there's demand. Um, so can we go fix this? Uh, so that's how Setu was born. So, which is why we picked the name Setu. Uh, right. because that's the key closest we could find to API in Sanskrit, right? So, uh, so we, 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 that was, that's, that's how the name Setu was born. Okay. And also a lot of thinking of starting Setu was kind of mirrored around Visa's form, formative years, uh, mm-hmm. on how the company was formed. Um, so which is why, you know, we were very obsessed about having a four letter name. Uh, so which is why the name Setu. <laughs> right. Uh, so, obviously, you know, uh, financial services is a very, very wide domain and uh, India being India, you know, there is no dearth of scale really and gaps are always there, uh, be it credit, insurance, whichever way you look at it. So is there any specific set of problem statements that you are prioritizing right now to solve at scale uh, or are you trying to pick up different parts from all of these uh, areas, which is, you know, investments, credit, insurance, payments, of course, and so on. So where is your priority right now and how does it look going forward for you? Okay. Sure. Um, so, you know, so I think it's good to start with what's the mission of the company is and then kind of break it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our mission as a company is, you know, uh, can we accelerate India's GDP growth, right? And our hypothesis is, if we can make financial services accessible uh, digitally to everybody, if we can make it accessible and affordable to everybody, 
our hypothesis is that we can accelerate india's gdp growth right we're not saying we're going to increase it by two points or blah 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 and so on right we're just saying can we play the role of a catalyst as a company in yeah. in helping the country grow right and our hypothesis is that so we said if you want to grow india's gdp or accelerate india's gdp you have thousand options right as a you know you could become a policy maker you could become an entrepreneur right. you could start a large manufacturing company so on and so forth so we said well, let's pick our battles right so our battle was we said look if we can make digital financial services accessible and affordable to everybody right then you know that's our leap of faith assumption that you know india's economic growth will happen uh, and you know if you go back and read all the economic theories it kind of leads to this right give pump credit to into the country the country will grow uh, right. so this is kind of our baseline thinking uh, so so what does this leave us so we we think ourselves as wanting to build like an operating system for building digital financial services in india all right now right. so what are our guiding lights so if you look at financial services you can actually break down financial services into very simple buckets there are obviously many different lenses of looking at it uh, but i'm just going to tell you you know in my experience of working in india especially if you take a user view right um to say you know what does a user or an sme require forget what the banks require forget what the fintechs require let's talk about the people because at the end of the day all mm-hmm. all of us are here to serve the people right so so we set out a goal to say look by 2025 as a company we want to be able to at least impact 500 million people in india right or touch their lives uh, so when you look and 50 million micro merchants or small businesses right so if you want to do something like this right 500 million people then you have to think with these constraints right so what role do you play uh, so so which is why we decided to play the role of an api routing layer right mm-hmm. to say look there are regulated financial institutions which are manufacturing financial products right and then there are developers startups high growth companies fintechs right who are serving these end customers so can we become a bridge between them right so <clears throat> how do we do it so like i said you take the end user view what do end users want end users want payments in their life right end users want credit in their life uh end users want you know a good deposit product where they can save money you know there's a wedding for your daughter coming up you know you are your child's education is coming up you need safe deposit instruments right and then if something goes bad in the family health crops whatever people need insurance in india right and as you all know insurance is deeply underpenetrated right um and then add to the new mix the new kid in the block is data right so you also want your data <laughs> as a user back from wherever it is so you see there is payments at one end of the spectrum which is your high transactional stuff and then you have data on the other end of the spectrum which is again high transactional stuff and then in between this lies this universe of deposits credit right and insurance right so you know this is all the users life really about financial services yeah uh so we said if we need to make this happen and if we need to build an os right so we have to think about building infrastructure that that has impact at scale so our simple thumb rule as a company is if we pick up an api product it should at least have a target addressable market of 100 million users mm-hmm. right so what do i mean by that <clears throat> for example on payments right we don't do payment gateways right we do bbps right or we do upi as apis mm-hmm. because today 
UPI has 150 million customers, right, who have been onboarded by Google, PhonePay, Amazon, Paytm, and others who can make a payment to the business, right? So that's the theme for why we do UPI. Why do we do BBPS? Because you know it could be any of these 150 million users on UPI, or it could be the other 500 million people who can go and make cash-based payments using a BBPS touchpoint, right? So that's also digital payments infrastructure in India, right? Offline to online. uh so that's that's how we pick our products so in payments we are picking products which have 100 million consumers as a time in credit we are standardizing credit products just like how visa did uh we are standardizing like a consumer credit product and standardizing a kirana credit product and standardizing an sme credit product right and creating a program which brings lenders uh nbfcs banks and many others on one side and then technology companies like you know fintech small business companies consumer tech companies on the other side right uh, and here we are adopting the okin api specs to make this to come to life mm-hmm. um, and irrespective of whether the lender has apis or not we basically work with all of them as a technology company to en- enable them to build these apis and expose them to the partner ecosystem right so that's what we're doing in lending Right. now again the reason why we are standardizing the credit product is because we want to have high impact credit products right so we don't want to build like niche credit products so to speak um same goes with deposits uh we're building a liquid fixed deposit product um so we fundamentally believe in india everyone has a bank account there is jhandan that has happened right uh, so we are still yeah. yet to see evidence of why we need to build savings account or current account infrastructure so which is why we are focusing on building all the ancillary layers required for neo bank right so it's just not about giving a savings account you need to enable bill payments you need to enable credit you need to enable you know deposit products you need to enable insurance fast tag so on and so forth right mm-hmm. uh, so on liquid deposits we are saying that look if you have a customer if you have a bank account with any bank uh, whether it's a savings account or a current account can you open an fd and you know sweep in and sweep out your money as seamlessly that you could do inside your net banking portal right what if you could do this on phone pay or google pay or whatsapp whichever app that you use uh, and uh, uh, and in terms of data as you know uh, you know we 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 are working on the account aggregator framework uh, we did participate in the recent hackathons um, right. so we are going to offer an api layer uh, across fius uh, whether it's a use case you want to build for pfm whether you want to build a use case for uh, accounting reconciliation or if you want to build a lending engine we want to be the api layer and we're going mm-hmm. to work with multiple aas behind the scenes just like how we work with multiple banks so that you don't have to go through that complexity of working with multiple people right oh, so right. uh so essentially we become an api ruling layer uh and you get the best of infrastructure and you can focus on building for your customers so that's broadly what we are doing at setu we're fixing one api at a time it's really hard yeah <laughs> as you all might know yeah. and uh and it requires a lot of perseverance um uh but we got to do what we got to do right and and that actually that's a good segue into my next question you know and i know this is just not simple um the, the ones which started probably much earlier in the western markets um, i'm talking about you know the likes of solaris bank rails bank and uh, the ones even before that um that happened in the united states and all of that 
is probably still just about reaching those maturity levels, uh, despite having some level of standardization now in some of these markets like Europe. What are the challenges that you're facing? I'm sure it's, I mean, I, I come from the banking side of things, work, working, having worked on the technology side of banking, and I know, you know, in what state some of these systems are and what, what state the landscapes out there are. What are the kind of, uh, not just the technical challenges, but also the operational challenges that you face? Is it really a case of having to go to each one of them and custom building stuff and integrations with them or is it slightly becoming easier now in, in whichever way? <laughs> so, you know, I think like if you were to draw like a spectrum <laughs> of a bands, you know, I think everybody would fall all across the spectrum, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, because... So, so let me explain how, how, does a, how does a typical bank stack look like, right? So whether any financial institution, essentially you have a source of truth, which is typically your ledger, right? Known, right. More popularly known as core banking system, yeah. loan management system, and so on. But essentially you have a ledger. Now, the fundamental truth that none of us can run away from that is that these ledgers are built on legacy technology. Right? right. So whether you take popular core banking systems or loan management systems that have been you know used. Now, why why do we find it challenging? Because the schema of these infrastructure was designed for an era, right? Long ago. Uh, like I can give you an example, right? So for example, the most popular LMS systems, right? Don't have the ability to let's say store the uh, device ID of a user when you mm. do their onboarding. From yeah, the they were pre-digital basically, uh, not built for digital at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, so so it's like you don't even know which channel the customer came from because the only channel they used to come from was probably the branch or DSA branch. and so on, right? Yeah. Um, so you have these ledger systems. So the ledger systems by design are legacy and archaic. So we know this for a fact, right? This doesn't change. And uh, do these ledgers need to change someday? The answer is yes, but they, can they change today? The answer is no, right? So it's going to be a four or five year long digital transformation project in, in a bank. Uh, you've been there before, Salil, so I don't have to tell you this, but, uh, but, but I, in my experience, I've realized trying to change the core is like trying to change the bank's management. Right. So it's going to be really hard. So don't try to do that. Uh, so and this is also the same thing, thinking that we had when we were thinking of UPI. Right. So, you know, often people ask this question, how the hell does UPI work? Because, you know, the 180 banks which are on UPI today, they didn't change their core banking system. Did they? They didn't. Right. So we still made UPI work. How did that work? So the idea is that you unbundle basically the the source of truth, which is the, you know, the ledger and your transaction engine by therein where you build something called the switch, right? Uh, so obviously we've seen the yesteryear models of this was, uh, you know, debit card switch, credit card switch, and so on. And now modern day, you have data switches coming up, right? So which is, yeah. you know, people investing in API gateways, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Uh, so essentially these api switches what they do is they kind of abstract the underlying systems to which you talk in a bank and then you put them together you know and expose it as a bundle you know for somebody to consume uh, now the problem in the industry is while everybody is adopting api gateways 
right? The problem is no one is sticking to standards, right? So, so when you go to, uh, so the reason why UPI was successful was because, you, you know, Google was able to build that user experience for you, irrespective of whether the sponsor bank was ICICI or HDFC or SBI, correct? Right. Remember if the Google engineers had to build four different screens for four different bank flows, right? Yeah. Uh, so the current challenge in the industry is not so much about technology. The current challenge in the industry is more about standardization. Uh, and, you know, and how do you think about building user-focused APIs? Uh, today, you know, when people build APIs, the vendor builds APIs based on what, you know, their capabilities are, right? Uh, and when a partners ask APIs based on what is right for the partner, but you know, if you truly think about open APIs and especially, you know, the learning that I've had about building UPI and other stuff is you have to design user-first APIs. Yeah. What do I mean by user-first APIs? Uh, UPI APIs are as simple as these. There is a fetch bank account API, which allows the users to fetch bank accounts. There is a set UPI pin API that allows users to set a pin. There is a send money API that allows users to send money. There is a request money API that allows the users to request money and then there's a check balance API right so you can check your balance uh, so the challenge that I see is today that because of too many uh, systems that the banks are dealing with they don't have have the capabilities of building the right API orchestration right um, and there is this very famous thing right about tooling right it's never about yeah. the tool, <laughs> whether you use APG or whether you use an IBM API manager or whether you know you use any other Kong, open source, whatever it is, yeah. it is never the tool, right? It's about product management of these APIs uh, uh, and you know and how do they serve partners and users? Right. Uh, so this is where I see the big challenge line because there's really nothing else that's missing in this recipe. Right. Mm. You have the core banking system, which is not going anywhere. You have digital teams set up in the bank, which didn't exist before. Right. So uh, you have API banking teams set up in the banks, which didn't exist before. Right. You have banks investing in technology tools like API gateways. Right. So then if you ask this question of what is the missing piece in this recipe, it's basically product managing these APIs. Right. And building right. them and, you know, exposing into the ecosystem. So in some sense, you know, NPCI played this role for UPI. Right. So uh, our goal as Setu is to kind of, you know, do something like that in India, where we enable financial institutions to have the right API standards, thereby they can scale their financial partnerships across payments, lending, deposits and data and so on. Right. Right. Wonderful. Um, so I have a couple of questions more, but before that, let me just uh, sure. check with Amit. Amit. Yeah. Let me, let me actually zoom out and ask you a very sort of industry level question, Nikhil, that um, sure. I actually worry about fintech companies which have found in like last three, five years, right? And a couple of reasons for that. One is that um, with a lot of very good sort of infrastructure APIs available via companies like Setu, what will happen is that, you know, as they say in, in the industry, that right, anybody can be a fintech company, which means that a lot of vertical SaaS companies, uh, you know, who have a very good understanding of a particular value chain, for example, Zilingo understands the fashion industry value chain very well, or, or uh, say, for example, Toast in the US understands restaurant value chain very well. 
they have so much more data points and so much more understanding and also leverage in terms of collections and everything right if they are doing lending to that value chain that they seem to like they seem to be the players who will really sort of do very well um, you know if if they were able to get the payments and commerce apis uh, in that in that order and then again the other thing is the st standardization which is happening with upi and osin and all that right like big tech players now are able to play a role like google would not enter into payments in india if it was not for upi right they never enter into things with this compliance and lot of custom technology integration that has to happen so with this i think one of the things i worry about is that all these smaller fintech companies we have found in 3 5 years on one side they will face all these vertical saas companies on the other side they'll face all these tech company big tech companies with standardization where where do you see these companies going you know in, in the next few years <laughs> so i think the answer to all of this is actually with the companies itself uh because you know uh the way i see the role of these companies right so let's as you rightly said let's say let's look at it from the fin financial services industry's point of view right so if you kind of and since it's regulated if we talk like the regulator all of these companies that we're talking about are third party apps right yeah. uh in in one way to think about it then there are you know tech companies with a regulatory license right so you know your classic small fintech which has an nbfc yeah. is basically nothing but like a solaris bank but in a smaller version right uh, i'm a tech company with a license right so you have these two people right uh, so either you are licensed or you are not licensed as far as the regulator is concerned correct <laughs> you could say whoever the whoever you are I, you know they don't care either you are regulated you are not regulated right mm -hmm. so if you are regulated you are either one of the license holders if you are not regulated you are known as a third party app Right? right so let me just talk about third party apps for a moment right now the role of a third party app essentially was you know this whole concept of every company can be fintech embedded finance blah 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 right whatever different flavors was to the simple fundamental fact that there is a third party app which is adding value to a customer already right through software right and because they are already in the life cycle of that customer and you don't have to do that acquisition so thereby by partnering with the third party app you're able to reach that customer right um so if you really look at the uh problem statement for the third party app the third party app will be in business as far as they are adding value to the end customer are you with me whether they do finance or not do finance mm -hmm. right you and i as a consumer think about it very simply right why would you use an app if it's not adding any value to you right uh, you would uninstall it from your phone right so as far as people are adding value to you know i mean third party apps are adding value to end consumers and small businesses they will be in business right that fundamental responsibility you can't skirt away from whether you are a fintech company or a non fintech company <laughs> right whether it's saas whether it's vertical you have to add value to your end customers now then the second question is can you embed finance right or were you adding value only through finance right that's where the question comes so the startups that you kind of categorized said that look i will add value only with regard to finance to you right mane i will be an app who will just give you a loan right now that particular feature is under question mm -hmm. right 
because the question really is it's not that the guy doesn't want the loan the question really is is just giving a loan enough for you to have a deep relationship with that customer are you following right. me right so essentially what you need to do as a third party app is you have to focus on building value for your end customer whether finance or non finance right now what finance allows you to do is it allows you to build habits right which are kind of non you know uh, which which were not able to be formed before thereby you know you are now more valuable to that business right now with this embedded finance coming in essentially this enables a whole new category of people who are not even in this before right uh, i can give you an example right so we working with a partner right uh, who used to build supply chain software solutions like you were saying right for enterprises mm. right and they are using a combination of our whatsapp for business apis right and our upi apis and building a full commerce engine for somebody like an achi masala mm. right <laughs> so you could yeah. buy chicken powder kebab powder on whatsapp now right and it will get delivered to your house or you know it could be for kharlon where you could view pillows right and then you can place an order and you can go to the store and pick up or whatever <laughs> right so so i want to uh, basically open up everybody to the fact that look the ecosystem yes is yet to be built <laughs> right the number of people who can actually take finance to end users is actually a lot more than what it is today and that is very important to understand uh just a hundred companies are not going to be able to serve a billion people in india yeah i think i think it's a very important question that every fintech which has a single feature today should ask them uh but um l- let me ask you one more question very sure. related to this right so um this is a tricky question nikhil sure. i don't know how tricky it is for you but let's let me build a scenario here right so so there were infrastructure providers in the past as well right they, they were like fis and fiserv so the word they were atm data center server sort of you know infrastructure providers of the past but yeah. now now you have players like you and sort of you know plaid and finicity and you know what have you right which are providing this making it so simple right to launch a product reducing the time uh, reducing the complexity so then the 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 companies if i was to use a term called you know like the front end companies or consumer facing companies would be using all this uh, sort of infrastructure apis which are available and pretty much a whole lot of them will be using the same sort of apis right so the only place they could actually differentiate now is really in terms of a distribution strategy or customer understanding you know or sort of uh, on the on the product ux ui side right do you think that that is uh, that's like enough to sort of differentiate initiate or like you know very soon everything will start looking very same in terms of in terms of the consumer facing product no i i i think that there is like too much of this thing about like you know the opportunity not being available so let me give you an example right uh, so it's like let's take gps and google maps for example yeah. right one could have argued because google built google maps right and then that infrastructure was available as an api right nobody is going to build any uh, any other whatever competitive product or whatever whatever right but instead what it enabled was an uber to be born a dunzo to be born a swiggy to be born and so on right they were category creators right uh, 
I think there is just too much focus on the past, on like, you know, what has happened. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, it is not as simple as just saying UI innovation, right? That's what I, uh, that's why I'm saying adding value to the customer is much beyond UI innovation, right? Yeah. Uh, Swiggy didn't do UI innovation, right? Swiggy did a business model uh, innovation. Now, but remember, if Swiggy didn't have Google Maps API, they would have never been able to do this. Would you agree? Sure. Right? So, uh, so in my view, uh, I think, you know, people have to build businesses. Don't forget that fundamental point. Just because you have infrastructure, that doesn't mean, you know, you have a business in your head. Right? It's like saying, just because there's AWS, anyone can become a software company. Yeah, God, yeah that's true. But can you become a successful software company? That depends on the product that you build, right? So I think we should not confuse the availability of infrastructure to the success of a company. Yeah, Salil, over to you. Yeah. Nikhil, I just want to bring you a little bit more into account aggregation and OKEN, okay? Because that's, sure. uh, that's where most of uh, the attention is today um, as far as public goods is concerned, digital public goods is concerned. And um, I just want to bundle two questions into one. So uh, let's take it in two parts. Um, so we have this uh, fantastic uh, set of APIs built as a part of the India stack. And now we are building, you know, layers on top of it, Oaken being uh, the perfect example for that. And at some stage, uh, you know, you will have, uh, in fact, in case of lending itself already, we have, you know, end-to-end -end financial chains where all of these things are getting combined. So we have account aggregation, OKEN, UPI, all of them coming together. Apart from, of course, you know, uh, pieces of Aadhaar and uh, uh, the other parts of the India stack. Now, my question to you is uh, twofold related to this. Is there room for, and obviously each of these layers are spawning off newer entities, right? So account aggregators are coming uh, because of OKEN, we will see LSPs coming into the market and so on. Is there enough room for each of these intermediaries to uh, make money in the process of doing this? That's part one to my question. And the second part is, if that is true, and if everyone is making money, is the cost of the overall transaction, you know, kind of going to kill the actual cost advantage of doing all these things itself? So it's, is it going to be counterproductive? How do you see the situation? Uh, I think probably, you know, let's, let's look at it three years hence from now. How do you see this? Sure. So again, let me address the elephant in the room. Let's start with a business model question, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when I, when I was working on UPI, I, I can probably someday share my first set of like, like I had a full strategy plan on how to get to hundred million users. And there was, there was a slide in the business model piece, which talks about by lowering the cost of transaction, we'll actually be increasing the TAM of digital payments in India. I remember the numbers where at that time the revenue pool for payments was around 3,500 crores in India. And we, mm -hmm. we actually estimated that by bringing down from debit card BIPs, which was around 65 BIPs to 50 BIPs uh, in UPI, the volume would go to 18,000 crores, right? The, the total TAM uh, mm -hmm. of revenue pool in UPI, right? Now, we have to understand that the reason why there is no business model in UPI today is not because of the APIs. It's not because of the banks. It's yeah. not because of the third party apps. It's not because of RBI. It's because of 
an initiative that the government took and a law has been changed in the country saying UPI can't have a business model. Right. Right. So often people try to mix up everything with everything. Right. Oh, if there is a, where is the business model? If there is your LSP, where is the business model and so on? Let's be clear. Right. If you have to build a business, you have to add value to someone and you should be able to monetize that value. Right. Otherwise there's no business. Right. You, you, you can't summa say, oh, I'm just because APIs are there, I'll do something, right? And people will pay money. No, you have to add value. That's the fundamental rule of a business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the question is, where, who, what is value and how do you monetize value, right? This is the question now. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the account aggregator space, if you look at the value chain, right? There are broadly three actors which are in the account aggregator space. So one is the FIPs, right? which is the banks and then there are to be technology service providers to the FIPs. Now, if you look at the value chain there, obviously it's the least value chain because for a bank, it's a cost center, right? So no matter whatever fundu technology you build, your value is kind of constrained and there's only so much money you've got to do. So you've got to be ready with it. So how do you make money there? So the way you make money there is you build something like a SaaS offering and then you increase volumes, right? You go to 200 banks, right? You go to thousand NBFCs, right? Then you have a business, right? Even if they are paying you hundred dollars, right? You'll still be making it's it's a ten million dollar book to you, right? So that is the where the value lies in the FIP layer, right? Now, if you're an account aggregator, right? Who's holding the consumer relationship, etc. You obviously have the opportunity to play the role of an FIP technology company, or you have the role of playing the FIU technology company. Then that leaves you with the other person that you can only monetize is actually the consumer, right? And you and I know monetizing consumer in India, you know, until Netflix or Hotstar, <laughs> you know, you look at the subscription plans that they have, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's really the best that you can really do right? yeah. in from an Indian subscription point of view. So I really don't think we have that big an opportunity yet, but sure, why not? If you add value, maybe people will pay you. Then the third side that you can monetize value in the AA ecosystem is the FIU side, because naturally the person who's consuming the API, who's getting the data is essentially the one who's benefiting in the transaction, right? Now let's come to Oaken, right? Now Oaken on the other side is not really like the account aggregator framework because an account aggregator framework is a, the R, is a RBI master direction, right? The RBI in its licensing regime has a proper banking regulation team which sits, which provides this license. There is all of these stuff. Oaken on the other side can be best described as an industry initiative, right? It's nothing but open specs. It's like, it's at best like, you know, a Bitcoin white paper, <laughs> right? True, you true. can take that and you can create your own currency if you want, right? So what you do with that is basically basically again where the value lies because please understand the open specs are on github it's open source which means by design the value is zero monetary value right so now the question is what do you do on top of it right uh, so again if you take the open model or the lsp model there are broadly three actors one is the lender why should a lender work on open so you should use open so that your apis are the best Right. And you are able, your users who want to take credit from you have the best user experience. That's the only reason why you should have open, right? 
one to scale partnership and second to deliver the best the customer experience right now if you're an lsp why should you care about okin instead of you trying to go and build uh, payments like the way chiller did by doing individual integrations with imps networks you rather do what google pay does which is right on top of upi right which is you have a standard set of apis across multiple institutions so you can standardize the ux for your customer right so that is why you should care as an lsp right now to enable this uh, there has to be technology companies that have to provide software to the banks uh, this could be the lms companies it could be cbs companies it could be api companies like us anybody could be doing this right any si could potentially be doing this with the bank right so Uh, that's that's something you need to realize uh, so you have to think about creating value on top of it right which is why we are thinking about standardizing the credit product right and you know waiting on the credit product and not on the api specs <laughs> mm. the api specs will just do that <laughs> it's a markup language it can't do anything more than that yeah. the whole objective of the api spec is to standardize uh, so you have to operate with that constraint and then think and say hello my job is to innovate on the credit product not on the credit api um so i see this new pockets of value being unlocked right which is what we should all talk a little bit more about and not be obsessed about like who's going to lose value because this is truly in my opinion a value creation layer uh and only if people think from that point of view will you be able to create value right wonderful amit concluding thoughts no i think um, the last time i talked in this much detail with nikhil was you know in a very surprising place in abu dhabi i think we were at a conference both of us were speaking and it's always wonderful to sort of you know get insights from somebody who was involved in building things like upi so thank you so much uh, nikhil for your time and providing us uh, this uh, sort of amazing level of insights and uh we hope to keep talking to you as a part of this podcast because i think this one discussion is not enough we need to come back to you often to sort of understand about financial infrastructure apis um but with this i think we we can uh, conclude this uh, this uh, episode of the podcast thank you so much uh, both nikhil and salil